Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders. In ancient times, hanging gardens, great pyramids and other superstructures were celebrated as wonders of the world. And like days of the week and deadly sins, there were always seven of them. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your personal list? That's the question I ask my guests in this podcast and on stage here today. And the guest I'm asking today is the much admired young stand-up comedian, writer and broadcaster, Glenn Moore. So, well, it's good. Do sit down. Now, if we can all just fiddle around. Thanks, thanks. Thank you for sure. So that's right. You've been you've been Edinburgh before, haven't you? Got some very good reviews and reactions. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, this is uh, this was uh, last year would have been full length show number five, and so this is exactly just the same show. Yes. This year and just another similarly cumbersomely titled. Yeah, you like you like uh, funny titles, don't you? What, what's your, I like what, agonising titles. Yeah. Yeah. What's your title this this year? Uh, this one is "Will You Still Need Me? Will You Still Feed Me?" Glenn, I'm sixty more. Yes. Which yeah. I'm partly back at the fringe this year because this is the first year I've been able to fully pronounce it. I kept getting it wrong uh, last year. Every yeah. time I was interviewed over it, everyone would call it "When I'm Sixty More" or "Glenn, I'm Sixty Four. And, and and finally, this is the first time that it's actually sort of you know. Do, do, did you go to the sort of Joe Lysett school of uh, of show titles? He likes those sort of conversations. Yeah, it's always fun to sort of rinse your name. So my first show was Glen Gary Glen Glen uh, which I regret that one um, yeah. and then uh, Love Don't Live Here Glenny Moore um, <laughs> Glen 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 how do you like it how do you like it um, the very best of Belinda Carlisle that was an outlier and yeah. um, uh, and uh, nor was Belinda mentioned at any point in the show um, but she did threaten legal action oh really yeah oh fantastic because Joe has done that's the way uh huh uh huh Joe likes it yeah which perfect. Is a, uh, Joe's excellent at yeah, those. yeah, so yeah. you should do double bills with yeah I'm going to come back next yeah. to you if please uh, Glenn I have some more maybe <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's already in itself just Glenn Moore is a good Scottish title like all those Hollywood stars oh yeah there. my name uh, is just Field Field yes yeah well Glenn's a valley isn't it so that's uh, Valley Field <laughs> Bit like Sally Fields from Forrest yeah. Gump. Well, I was thinking you get along with Ben Affleck and uh, Glenn Tilbrook, Glenn Campbell. You know, they, they, they all sound sound good as names, but also uh, they're sort of geographical tour of the Highlands. They are. There's loads of hotels. There is a location called Glenmore, but there's loads of. I live near a Glenmore Avenue, which is really weird for me. Um, and there's plenty of like. I remember being in Sydney and Australia and going past the Glenmore Hotel and stuff like that. Yeah. They're all places I cannot afford to stay in or visit, which yeah. hurts. And is it right your full name is actually Glenn Roger Moore? It is indeed. My dad is called. Uh, my dad's. Roger Moore, which yes. is oh, right. fine for my dad. I didn't, know, I didn't know that. That's yes, fine yes, for yes. my dad because yes. my dad was born before Roger Moore was really famous. Yes. What they did to me was an act of malice and cruelty, <laughs> knowing full well that he was famous by that point. You know, it's not Glenn George Lazenby, but it's still yeah. not ideal. Yeah, and Roger Moore, it's not such a name as a boast, isn't it? So, now the, <laughs> as I said to Roger Moore once, but anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, so you've got your seven wonders yes. kindly sorted out. Um, an interesting range, if I may say so. I uh, can't quite determine where we're going with all of them. But the first one is a, a comedy classic, or at least it's regarded as a comedy classic on the continent. Yes, a comedy classic that isn't in any way regarded here. I, I'm just going to throw this one to the audience. Is anyone, is anyone here familiar with Dinner for One? So maybe about five or six of you. I uh, so I had no, I'd never heard of Dinner for One or right. anything like that. And then about ten years ago uh, at university, I lived with a uh, German uh, housemate of mine, and uh, she we we were going to spend New Year's Eve together, a big group of us. And she was like, "And we're going to watch Dinner for One, yeah." And we didn't know what Dinner for One was. Right. And she was like, "How have you guys never heard of Dinner for One? It's 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 English and it's a comedy." And we were like, "Never heard of it." And yeah. she put it on, and it was one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen. Now I I'd never heard of it before. It's from about 1963, and it looks older than the 60s it looks like yeah. early 
sort of silent movies. It looks like the first episodes of Coronation Street where you can just about make out that there are people on screen. Um, and the idea is there's a very wealthy aristocratic woman who's at dinner uh, and it's a big dinner table with six dinner placings, but they're all empty. There's no one else there. And her butler is going around the table and serving the individual courses for these non-existent guests. And it gradually becomes apparent that these guests are people who have died over the years. And to keep this frail old woman happy, the butler is impersonating each of the guests. So each time he sort of goes, oh, the Duke of Gloucester, and he puts on a helmet or whatever, that sort of thing. And there's a recurring joke that he, you know, every time he walks past this tiger rug, he keeps tripping over the tiger's head. But because each time he serves someone dinner, he has to take a toast from a drink. So he's getting increasingly wasted throughout. And so at the end of a sketch, at the end of each round, she goes, uh, same as last year. And he goes, same as every year, dear. And that's a sort of like recurring joke. Yeah. It is by all accounts, shit. <laughs> it is one of the worst things of it. It, it is so lacking in humor and comedy. And the 60s were just this goldmine of excellent stuff. Even yeah. the 50s were. But it seemed completely at odds. Well, it came from well before then. It was written. It was a stage production, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And for some reason, Germany were just like, we need this. And they know comedy when they see it. And so <laughs> they, they, they took it on board. Yeah. And since then, it's this staple of, of New Year's Eve TV viewing in Germany, it's one of the most watched things of, of all time. It's on in, in Germany and Holland. Inexplicably, I think it's sometimes watched in Australia. But it's, it's yeah. this big thing on New Year's Eve across Europe, which makes no sense to me. And it wasn't broadcast on TV in the UK until I think 2018. And it, yeah. it makes no sense. But what was weird was I was like, why is this such a big thing? And she would watch you be crying with laughter at these non-jokes um, and, and, and just losing her mind and saying, well, yeah, we, we all watch it. They all watch it in English, by the way. They, yeah. It's not subtitled or translate. They, they watch it fully in English. But it's, I mean, it's largely a silent comedy anyway. It is mostly. It really? it's, yeah. it's quite, it's, yeah. it's vaguely Mr. Bean-esque and there's only yeah. a few lines of dialogue and it's all about the sort of physical comedy. But it's, it's, it's very, it's very sort of basic, but it's this big sort of family get together, like people watching The Snowman or The Great Escape in the UK. Yeah. Um, but what was strange was I was like, but you're not a fan of like, if you like that, then you've got to see stuff like Faulty Towers. And she was like, what is that? <laughs> and it was like having a housemate who's like obsessed with the sitcom Joey, but has never heard of Friends. Yes. It was really surreal, yeah. and to be, and and I'm I'm just fascinated how something. It's very strange to see something that's British just take over yeah. an entire sort of uh, continent, but have no, in no way, just have any sort of real, real, real sort of takeoff in in the UK. It's like someone being big in Japan, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, but uh, yes, yeah, so, you know, music acts are like that. But there's like Fred uh, Freddie Frinton, who's the star in it. He mm. his career was largely this sketch. A, I can vaguely remember he was an old comedian. His act was always being a drunk, although right. he didn't drink himself. That was his act. And so when you said you were selecting this, I, I sort of looked him up and thought, oh yeah, he, he was quite a well-known comedian, wasn't. But the, the, the description of his career is, well, he started doing this sketch in about 1945 um, and he had to buy it in there because he didn't even write it. Somebody else had created it. Oh my God. And then he had to buy it from them, which was a clever thing for him done because he got sort of, uh, then got royalties from it. Yeah. And it, uh, the, uh, probably the Wikipedia or something write up would sort of say, well, he didn't have much of a career outside that. But I, I thought he must have had, you know, you know but I suppose if, if, that, if that just kept him in, you know, just the, the yes. royalties as coming yeah. in from that. I mean, I'm not saying comedy was sort of easier in the 50s and early 60s, but I find it infuriating. I have to write a new hour of stand up every single year and he was living off that. Well, I was going to ask you that because in the, in the olden days, uh, music musical vaudeville mm. people had a, a, a sketch or 10 minutes and they were booked to do that 10 minutes and not only did they not have to write anything else they were they were told not to because that's what they wanted to see but as, as you're explaining you're having to do uh, and all the other comedians mm. tend to have to do another lot each year but that, i guess that's quite an international sort of thing i was i was uh, just for laughs in montreal last week and all the american acts they have their they have their act and their act is 6 minutes yeah. and they hone that for a decade yeah. and when you tell them that you have an hour of material they're like oh my god and you're like well yeah it's not good but it's like it's <laughs> i can talk for an hour yes. they're just stunned by it yes yeah well, that's, that's odd, that just for, just for laughs thing. I went there years and years ago, and the Americans are much more sort of professional about things. Uh, it's very me. professional. I, I really hope I'm not speaking out of turn. And I, I, oh, I, I hope I, you I, are. Yeah. <laughs> so just to give an indicate, this was not indicative of the rest of the festival. But what happened was I arrived at the airport and they have someone there. I've never had this before. They have like someone of a sign sort of, you know, sort of saying, are you here for the festival? And they sort of then escort you to your hotel. And so I arrived and they were sort of like, right, we're just waiting for the taxi. And someone else will be joining in a moment. And they're just getting off the plane. And this, uh, this, this uh, American woman came over and I assumed she was one of the other acts. And I, I stuck up my hand and said, hi, I'm Glenn Moore. And she went, whatever. 
and turned back to the other person. And I was like, how have I messed up that interaction? Yeah. Like, what have I done wrong? And so we were sat in the back of the, I was sat in the back of a cab thinking, do I speak? Do I not speak? Mm. And uh, eventually the cab driver said to me, so you're going to this hotel, aren't you? And it's a hotel where all the performers are booked into. And as soon as she heard I was at the performers hotel, she went, you're a performer. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she then stuck out her hand really angry at me. And she shook my hand and she went, I'm such a person from such such a media. You're going to want to get on our good side next time. Wow. And that was my first indication of what the scene is over there. Now, no one else was like that, but what a first impression. Well, that's all I was going to say is that when, uh, when I went there, the, all, the, all the American comedians would arrive with their agent or their yeah. manager or their publicist, and there would be tickets of, uh, allocated for that sort of thing. All the British comedians, without exception, arrived with their girlfriend or their mother or their brother or something. Just, oh, we've got a free trip to Canada. The same, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I, I brought your mother, but I, um, I think there's... <laughs> I, but I, do you know what? I, I overheard two American acts. One was about to go into McDonald's and the other one was like, it's not a good look getting, it's not a good look getting McDonald's here. Yeah. The, the industry won't like it. And it was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> All right, so dinner for one. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you make it a wonder of the world, though you, you weren't impressed by it. No, but, I, but it, I'm yeah. fascinated. I'm yeah. fascinated by stuff I don't understand. For me, that is, that, that's the 1960s equivalent of TikTok. I yeah. just have, I'm aware yeah. it's huge. I have no idea how to penetrate it. I, I think it is, it's earlier than the 60s. I know it was filmed in the 60s, but it's Yes, but it, yeah, it, it, but it's I, a lot earlier. I, I agree with you. When you look at it, you think, oh, I hope this is really good. But it's nothing like watching an old bit of Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton or something. No, You're but... Not because he trips over the rug in a very clumsy way uh, every time he goes past, and there's a there's an odd thing where he has to give an extra bit of drink to one of the guests because he always yes. Wants. But that's the he, that's the first one he served. That shouldn't be the first one. It should be the last one he served or the halfway. Yeah, through. the, I the re timing's it, off. Yeah. The timing's all off, and it's really really strange in that regard. For, and and it's just it has these lengthy lengthy pauses that reminded me of watching like a sort of Fritz Lang film from like the 30s where yeah. they really need to hammer home. What you know, there's people like tapping their watches when yes. they're impatient and stuff like that, or they, they'll zoom in on a clock that says three o'clock for like 11 minutes so you know what the time is. It's, yeah. it's so strange, and it's got a slightly unbelievable but salacious ending as well. The ending is yeah. horrible, yes. I think it's quite creepy. <laughs> it's but creepy. basically, he it, it, she's then tired and she sort of retires to her. She goes, I need to retire to my chambers, and he sort of goes, Okay, and, and uh, she goes, uh, the same ritual as last year, and he goes, Same as every year, and sort of winks yeah. at the camera because yes. they're gonna fuck. <laughs> it's so surreal. Yes, and really odds it's with not the rest. Spelled of... out in that way. Uh, no, yeah, sorry, yeah. You're very but, much of your time. Yeah, it's not one of those things where they mouth it and then the yeah, silent no. movie dialogue comes on at no. the end. It's not the like that. The implication is a, a very old the, woman, the implication and, is and they're completely drunk. But <laughs> yeah. is, is somehow going to go through the usual procedure. Yeah, and it's perfect it. for German children. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, I don't know. Maybe your German friend wouldn't see the point of the great escape as, as our alternative. But, uh, yeah, she's just, quite the yeah, she's rooting for the wrong yeah, people. Yeah. When they get captured at the end, yeah. she's like, good, oh, they did it, they did it. It's a great motorbike, though. You're right. yeah. <laughs> this is not standing up at all well. This is mm, happens to one, one in three like men, apparently. It's, fine. it's never happened to me before. I can look at, look at that. Okay, maybe I'll hold it. Fine. Does that help? So you're next. Yes. <laughs> you're... <laughs> Your next. I can uh, get mine out as well if that would. No, no, better. don't no, get no, yours out. <laughs> I think it makes it worse. Um, your next uh, wonder, if you can speak for three minutes while I'm fixing this, is uh, a ride at Alton Towers, Nemesis. It's Nemesis, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's a one for me. It, that this is the only one that's like a real childhood wonder of mine. For me, it was the, gr the greatest ge geographical site I'd sort of ever seen in my life. I went to Alton Towers when I was about five years old. I'd never seen a work of engineering just so great. And when I was five, I was two short to go on Nemesis. When I was growing up, there were two rides I really wanted to go on. Ramesses Revenge at Chesterton Mod of Adventures and Nemesis Alton Towers. And I, I, I liked how terrifying Nemesis was as you queuing up as like a river of uh, blood. It's sort of like a sort of, you know, pal themed. Um, right, but like, if there's, a, but there's, if there's like this river of sort of blood as you queue, which feels like such a, a strange way of marketing a roller coaster, fundamentally. Um, but uh, but I, was, I was too short to go on both of those rides. And so I finally went when I was about 20 and I got to ride on it. Now, uh, Chessington had sold the other ride that I wanted to go on. They'd sold it to Alton Towers and uh, I was now too tall to go on it. So I... I, uh, that, that, so I'm gutted that I never got to go on that. But Nemesis was such a big treat for me. And I remember it so vividly because it was so cathartic to finally go on this one ride I'd wanted to go on 
20 years after I'd initially wanted to go on and sort of fulfill this childhood dream, albeit under the most ill circumstances I'd ever encountered because I'd, uh, this was when I was at university and to help sort of fund my way through university, I worked at this sort of silver service restaurant where I had no waitering skills whatsoever, but I had what, even though I'm from Croydon and not from a posh background, I, I have this stupid accent. And as a result, they hired me on that because they were like, well, this is a fancy restaurant and you'll sound fancy. Um, and so I used to work at this restaurant. I couldn't afford to eat there myself. And on the final day, on my final shift, which was the day before I went to Alton Towers, they wrapped up loads of tin foiled food for me. And they said, this is your, this is your, I, I, money would have been nice, but I, like, I, it was very nice of them. And so I took what I assumed was going to be like Chateaubriand and stuff like your that. Your retirement gift was wrapped up, but, a, a doggy bag. Yes, it was a doggy, it was a doggy bag. It's but a classy I would, place. I, I would have loved it. I would yeah. have loved it. I'd sampled some of the food before, not in view of the guests, but if people didn't touch half the meal, of course I would wolf it down, you know, right? But, but like if we had these sort of like saloon doors. So sometimes like the door would open, it would just be me crouched over with yeah, a bit yeah. of their chips. Um, but people would order like 500 pound bottles of champagne and stuff, and they would take one sip and then leave. And so when the restaurant was closed we'd be walking around the restaurant just swigging this enormous i've learned as well there's, there's no difference in taste there is no from from those to the sort of cheaper ones but i was so excited to have all this sort of food and i took it with me to alton towers because i could only really just about afford as a student to go to alton towers couldn't afford to have food there and so just before we went on nemesis which i was so excited to do my friends all bought food and i unwrapped you know what i thought was good and it was all quail's eggs <laughs> it was only quail's eggs that they'd sort of wrapped up so i ate about 12 like Oh. Like a middle class cool hand Luke, and <laughs> I, I ate them all, and then went on one of the most vigorous roller coasters. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's amongst the most ill I've ever felt. But it was just it, it, there's something about sort of finally revisiting something that you wanted to do as a child yeah. is actually really really nice. And and for it not to be tragic to sort of revisit, like I it was it, like a roller coaster you can go on as an adult, and that's not a sad thing to do. I never really got to like there was like this really exciting soft play I wanted to go to when I was a kid. I now can't do that as a grown up. No, no, no. You yeah, you'd look very dodgy. No, I need a child chaperone. The yes, sort of opposite yeah. around, yeah. So uh, the, the quail's eggs, was that helpful, though, in the end? Because uh, I don't know, do you sort of lose it? Do you, uh, uh, <laughs> do you spill your guts on a, on a, on a thing like that? And the no. quail's egg may hold, hold it all in. No, they, in were actually, binding way. they were actually really delicious. I, yeah. But it was, just, it was just simply not a lunch. It was yes. just not a lunch sort of whatsoever. And I thought I looked weird to passers-by. And occasionally passersby would look by us and sort of be like, well, which, where's the quail's egg stand? Yeah. May, I, may I have some for myself? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, the whole idea of going on a roller coaster or or a very exciting version of yeah. this, uh, th does that still appeal to you? Have you have you done it once? Or do you now become obsessed by it? Because for some people, it's obvious you you want to go on and scare yourself a witless, mm. and other people look at it. Why would you want to do that? Why do you want to queue up? pay a lot of money just to have a minute or a minute and a half of terror and then you get a photograph of yourself screaming or, yeah or that's that's the only issue yeah. i look i hate how i look i don't think i'm scared by roller coasters but then i see the photos of myself afterwards yeah. and i look like i seek urgent medical attention yes really there's like it, it, it i look like a peter gabriel video just yeah. really sort of contorting and um it, it, it no i i really do enjoy the thrill but yeah there's no excitement to be had uh, uh with um uh you know queuing for upwards of an hour for just, you know, a, a minute of excitement. But I went to Disney World when I was about nine years old. Yes. And I so want to return, but I think it would be sinister to do as an adult. Yes, you, you need to- And I'm not saying that's why I've had a child, but like yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's helped. But then you may find as you get older, you are forced to go on more and more things with your children. I mean, would you, do, do you yeah. like roller coasters? Uh, no, I don't. I have, um, uh, I used to like, well, I still like going to little local, local fairs when, or when it has a sort of wheel on it or something. And then a 13-year-old a, a person who's operating things sort of puts in the safety catch without really looking at it. And you get really excited from that because you could easily fall You off could those. die. You, but you yeah. go to Disneyland or, or, um, or you know... There's got, no jeopardy. They've got all their safety. Yeah, it's like right, watching yeah. a Superman movie. Yeah. You know Superman's not going to die at the end. You yeah. want real risk that you and yeah. your loved ones might be seriously injured. I, I, it was only, <laughs> last year was the first time I ever went to like a traveling fun fair because before then I was really nervous about it because there's something about I don't trust a role roller coaster that every few months has to move to a different part of the country <laughs> yeah well uh, that's that's part of the joy of it though isn't it and i think in a way and i don't know uh, i'm not here preaching uh, you know anti-capitalism but this is a horrible way that even things like silly rides mm. are, are now corporatized so that you travel for miles and miles and miles maybe even fly the atlantic to go on a ride that used to be come to the end of your road or in a in a park near you yeah and uh, somebody got a reasonable income out of it just about of but course. now people make millions out of yes. it being you know 
know, in charge of Disney or whatever, whichever the company. I don't know who Mr. Alton is or Mrs. Alton is who runs the. It's Mr. Uh, Towers, Mr. actually. Mr. Towers. To you. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but there was, uh, it was, uh, I, I, I think the worst capitalist example is, was, was ones like uh, there's Winter Wonderland in Hyde Park in London, oh, yes. where you you don't have to pay to get in, but each of the rides is like sixteen pounds or something insane. And I remember going on a date with a girl there, and we'd, we'd gone on about say, four dates, and I, I went with her, and she just let me pay for. Yeah everything and she wants to go on every ride every single ride and i must have spent about 80 pounds and then we got to the tube stop afterwards and it was sort of that, that sort of stage of evening of sort of like well you know yeah. we, you, you sort of your place or mine and she yeah. went I, th I think we should just be friends and it's the only time i've ever wanted to stay on a date well can i have my money back please <laughs> all right <laughs> There's a certain age, you said you've got a child, I don't know how old your child is, but there's a certain age of children, when, they're, when they get old, they don't want you with you, uh, and when they're very young, they, they're very bit nervous. So there's a sort of key age when they want to go on every ride, but you still have to go on it with them. And uh, yes. their capacity for being hurled around on things is better, more than yours. And it's a, it's a tiresome bit of uh, parenting, I, I think. Oh, yeah, for That's sure. That's rather put me off. Oh, yeah, my, my, my child loves to be, is just under two years old, and loves to be like... Thro loves to, but this is going to sound awful. Loves to be like choke slammed into the sofa, yes. like he loves like wrestling moves and stuff like that. And yeah. so I was always like assured my girlfriend. I was always like, don't worry, he's at, he absolutely like, he he adores it. He comes back from what is what he wants, and I do it very safely. I know exactly what we're sort of doing, and then I'll sort of do it in sort of front of friends, and then he'll burst out crying. And you go, why did yeah. you come on, man? Why are you doing this in front of me now? You love it. Yes. When is your case being heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on uh, sure. rapidly from chokeholds on your children uh, to your third wonder, which is uh, what women want. Yes, the Mel Gibson, Helen Hunt film. Um, so now, wait a minute, just, just to clear where we are, this you've got every wonder in the world to choose from. Yes. And maybe you thought, well, I'll have a film section. And mm. of all the films that have ever been made... Then who better than the famous <laughs> anti-Semite Mel Gibson? <laughs> well, leaving, leaving that side of it aside, yeah. th there's not too much of the anti-Semitism, well, I don't think, in, in the film. But it's, an, it's a quirky yeah, film, isn't it? If I remember the plot correctly, mm. due to some sort of um, accident with a hairdryer, he acquires the ability to know what women want, what all women want. Yes. Sort of telepathically or just... Uh, Including, yeah, yeah. at one occasion, one female dog. And the film does not go on to explore that scientific marvel, which is surely of more use than wanting to know what people who can easily communicate to you yes. want. It's, it's, it's a wonder to me because I didn't just want to put the concept of DVDs. But it was a wonder to me because it was the first DVD I ever saw. Oh, I see. And so I, I remember it very, very well. I went to visit my aunt and uncle who were living in St. Louis in America. And this was a month after 9-11. So everyone was very, very tense. And we were very, very nervous when we were flying. I remember we went to Chicago. We went to like the top of the CN Tower of John Han Hancock Building or something like that. And someone saw this pinprick of a, a, a jet in the sky like when you can see the truck and they started screaming it, it yeah. was miles above us and everyone started screaming and it was a really really sort of tense yeah. atmosphere but in the evenings they sort of my aunt and uncle showed off the fact that they had this dvd player yeah and we watched we put on what women want and we couldn't get over the fact that i mean the, i didn't like the film but you couldn't get over the fact that you put it in and we didn't have to rewind it we just had we and and this this animated menu came up yeah. and my aunt and uncle they put the dvd in first and they said you know what actually hey why don't we get a takeaway and they said we're just going to go and find the pizza menus and they left the room and what we experienced before we saw the dvd is what happens when you leave a dvd menu to run for longer than five seconds and for upwards of half an hour we had this looping 10 second dvd where they play a little snippet of music and it's just mel gibson's face flying across the screen helen hunts the other way yeah. and we had that for half an hour and it is ingrained on my memory i think when i close my eyes it's still there like ptsd yeah. Um, but I, I've just never experienced anything like that. And I know that it's obviously a, a phenomenon that's since sort of long gone and it probably wasn't as exciting as the first time anyone had their own VHS player or anything like that. But my God, that's still the most few. That, that blew me away more than, say, the first time I used an iPhone. Yes. Blew me away. The first time I've tried on a VR headset yeah. or something like that. Uh, but it is, it's interesting. Now you're rattling through all those various bits of technology, which have all come and gone. And, and now, I don't know if there are any young people in the audience. I'm sure there are lots of you very, very young. Not all of you, obviously. But uh, uh, they're almost like, well, what's a DVD? We don't, you know, don't even use it. VHS, what's he on about now? We just rattle through so many different technologies in recent years. Nothing seems to hang around for much longer than... It needs to. No, not at all. I, I remember VHS is being from there for about maybe sort of 10 years of my life. And the second DVDs arrived, it was like, well, you know, saying goodbye to those. Yeah. But I just, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't purchased a DVD 
in in yeah, do you know what actually i was doing a, a a filming a sort of tv recording last week and i needed to hold a dvd and uh, i realized when i got to edinburgh the only dvd i have in my home which is a muppet's christmas carol which belongs to my girlfriend and has done for years yes. i'd forgotten to bring it it is so hard to buy a DVD yeah. on the fly. There's one HMV in Edinburgh on Princess Street. And now the DVDs are relegated to like the basement bit, like a real mm. sort of like, like you're going into some sort of porn dungeon. Yeah. It's really strange. You sort of say you want a DVD and they're like, oh, do you? Yes. We've got a weird customer. Yeah. And if you're here you know, temporarily, you might have to go and buy a DVD player. We'd have to well. buy a DVD player. Yeah. How we go about doing yeah. that? I didn't even know. My laptop doesn't even have a disk Except drive. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can buy them to, to plug in, but I bought it in order to watch a DVD I had to watch. Because I mean, well, I haven't used it since. So no, it. not at all. I mean, that's £20 I'm not going to get back. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so what, what women want on the basis that you saw it on a DVD? It, just because it was the yeah. first film I ever saw. So, whatever yeah. would have been the first film I ever saw on a DVD yeah. player would have been my favorite. Yeah. And inst- for me, it was what women want. For my so, sister, it was the next night. She watched Final Destination, the plane crash film the day before we flew home a month yeah. after 9-11 one of the worst decisions i've ever known anyone to make <laughs> so for, so you're are you interested in film do you, are you are you an actor as well as a comedian would you say would you like to be mel gibson in the movie oh no i so i wanted to be a movie that was like the the childhood ambition i had that came about from when i was born to when i was about five years old and i remember so vividly watching Home Alone when I was five years old and seeing Macaulay Culkin and being like, that is what I want to be when I'm older. And I, this is true. I said to my mum straight afterwards, I said, when I grow up, I want to be a movie star. Yeah. And my mum was like, well, to be a movie star like Macaulay Culkin, you, you would have had to have needed to have been in TV shows and adverts when you were like sort of two and three years old and stuff like that. So I got told at the age of five, I'd left my life ambition too late. <laughs> um, that was a cruel of your mother. Yeah, right? so, yeah. but I had, yeah. a, but I did actually have yeah. a, uh, I was in like sort of like a ch- children's amdram and stuff like that when I was growing up, sort of like Saturday sort of groups where you sort of do, like rehearse a show and then eventually perform it to say a hundred, you know, parents. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. And the person who ran it, she was, she was friends of a casting director who was like, you look like Harry Potter and they're making a film of harry potter and i can get you an audition and she'd see me before and so i was sort of lined up to sort of have this audition but we had to sort of submit a headshot first officially and it's really difficult it's easy now doing a headshot you just use your phone and it's fine back then we had to sort of use my dad's like disposable camera take a hundred other shots of other things around the house and my parents had this insistence that they knew better than i did what harry potter was and i'd read at this point only about two of the harry potter books were out but at this point i'd I'd read them i knew what they're about and my mum i think for some reason had decided the front cover of the philosopher's stone was famously harry potter in a school uniform and there's an old steam train of the hogwarts express my mum saw that and decided the book is set in victorian times harry potter's a victorian and so i said well he's a wizard and she went no he's not and i said no i've read the books and she went no he's Victor- he's like a chimney sweep or something like that and so my parents dressed me up with like a flat this is for the acting headshot they were like you need to look like harry potter they put this flat cup on me and they put like coal <laughs> on my face the fact that I then after that was like had an audition sort of lined up after that is astonishing. The audition never actually ended up happening. We had to go on holiday and postpone it. And then they cast Daniel Radcliffe in that time. So you didn't get the part. Let me just. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yes, just, yes. Just yes, to make yes, that yes. clear. It sounds like your mother was deliberately sabotaging your career. It sounds like a very. Just, to, yeah. to, to, to insist to me that Harry Potter's a chimney sweep <laughs> and to gaslight in, me into thinking I'd yeah. read two whole books wrong <laughs> is wild. Yeah. So how did you get into into comedy? Was that something you developed separate from all that or did it? It was completely accidentally. I I, I loved to attempt, attempt to make people laugh in conversation, but that was never sort of a a skill or an affinity I really sort of had. Um, But it was, it was just, it was just a nice feeling if ever you were successful in making someone laugh. But um, I was, I was at university uh, and the University of Sheffield used to host this, um, uh, this sort of student comedy festival where it would be sort of like the big headliners on a Saturday night were like the Cambridge Footlights and they'd play the big venue. And it felt like a real sort of like Glastonbury-esque thing. And then you'd have like the Leeds Tea Lights, Bristol Reunions and all the other sort of sketch groups. And it was just, it was just really, really well thought out and well put together and they had a few open mic nights scattered across the course of the weekend and there was one time I was helping run the festival I was involved in student plays but in no way in comedy but some friends of mine were helping run the festival and there was one open mic night where they said look the the, the guy's meant to be hosting he's stuck on the motorway Glenn if we give you like 10 minutes can you go backstage and just try and write some material and then just host mm. the gig. So my first gig was with 10 minutes notice and only in front of about eight people or so, but it was, I was forced into it. I was forced into comedy. So it went, it went well enough for, for you to give you the taste for doing yes, it. Yes, e- even though the circumstances in which it happened were what most people would consider a stress dream. Yeah. 
like yeah, that's sure. what you would have a nightmare where you wake up and you're given 10 minutes to write stand up that's the sort of thing you'd have a nightmare about and so that was that was the sort of way it started and they, they my friends entered me again this sounds like pure malice on the part of my friends um there's a there's a student comedy competition called the chortle student comedy awards and so my friends signed me up for that without telling me knowing that it was something i wanted to do but i didn't want to be seen as having this sheer gall the sheer arrogance of going i'm gonna give comedy a go yeah. so they did it they did it for me and, and and sort of and and then it sort of it just sort of started from so there basically your life sounds like you, your mother pulling you away from show business and yeah your friends my friends push, forcing me into forcing it, you into it right? yeah and it's where it's worked out well so so you do stand up crime but you also do um you, you read the news? You used I used to, to the, read the, the news, radio. yeah. So yeah. that was my first job. I, I, it was strange. I'd gone after the, the Home Alone debacle. Uh, my, my parents, uh, I, I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Acting is a frivolous thing that might never sort of take off or anything like that. Um, and so I thought, you know what? I'll, I, I really, for some reason, at the age of five, wanted to, about the age of six, wanted to be a newsreader, which is an insane thing for a child to want to do. But I, was, I just really liked the idea of it. And, um, and so... It was a steadier, safer sort of career. Exactly. And still gets us into crash and but oh occasionally it does but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and still getting to sort of broadcast and you yeah. know and i thought that'd be sort of quite fun and so i did i did english lit at university knowing that i'd hopefully be able to go on to do a master's in journalism and so did and then trained up as a journalist and then got a job as like a roving reporter in sheffield and sort of did that for a couple of years in that time i'd done my first couple of gigs and so suddenly having gone my entire life thinking i want to be a newsreader I'd done a couple of gigs and thought, this is way more fun. This yeah. is way better. And so it was difficult trying to, I sort of juggled the two for a few years and I wouldn't tell my news editor that I was sneaking off to do gigs at night and stuff like that because I thought she would think I was deeply unserious. Well, that's handy for doing topical comedy because you were do, reading the news during the day or during the, the newsread a bit, getting all the stories in your head ready to come up with jokes. Well, that's a, the only problem was I wasn't doing topical stuff at oh, right. all. Oh, well. So that, that, that then, <laughs> uh, and, and in fact, the only actual time the news sort of bled into it was uh, occasionally if I was nervous at a gig, I'd maybe have a drink beforehand. I would get drunk and then i would spill new stories that hadn't come out yet on stage so i'd go on stage and be like apparently rolf harris is getting arrested in a few days <laughs> and then think what have i done <laughs> that was something i did i did that did you? yeah God. yeah well it came as a shock to all of us i must say rolf harris yeah of all the stories oh, well no not of all of them but anyway so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there have been more shocking ones since A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Let's move on to your fourth one, don't sure. we, mate? The Swiss glockenspiel in Leicester Square. Yes, do you know it? I do. I know Leicester Square pretty well. Um, for you live of... above Eminem's world, don't you? <laughs> I don't, but uh, I've unhappy memories of uh, Leicester Square. When I think they were building the Swiss Centre, um, I'm, not, I'm not playing into um, stereotypes, but I had a, quite a bad uh, accident involving damage to my teeth, and I needed them fixed. And my father, who was Scottish, found that there was a dental hospital in Leicester Square where you could get it done uh, on the National Health, which you couldn't get it done anywhere else. So for me, Leicester Square is a place of horror and... Uh, and uh, you know, but they built the, the. There was a Swiss centre, which is no longer there. But they've reinstated no. the Glockenspiel. They've reinstated the Glockenspiel, yeah. and there's no context. There's no real sort of easy to read signage sort of around it or anything like yeah. that. But I have this. Uh, I don't know. This fixation, this fascination by by Leicester Square. When I was a child, I really thought it was like the place to be in London. And I thought it's where all the celebrities lived. Because <laughs> yes. where else would you want to go? The cinemas there. TGI Fridays yeah. is there. 
Yeah. You've got all your amenities. You can do yeah. the big shop at M&M's World each week. And so I, I just I just loved it. And so as a child, it was like where I wanted to hang out um, and where I wanted to sort of spend <laughs> my time. And I dreamt of one day living in Leicester Square. Well, there are ways of doing that, but it's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a famous yeah, if you, square. If you, yeah, if you're yeah. willing to lie on a bench and look at the Mr. Bean yeah. statue, you can. Um, but I did end up briefly living in Leicester Square because I was... a little bit shabby as a... It's as a, very like, yeah. shabby. And I learned that as an adult. But when I was a newsreader, I was a newsreader. I was like a freelance newsreader at LB and there that is obviously based in leicester square right yeah. and so uh what would happen is i'd get back from gigs i'd do like a gig in cardiff at cardiff jonglers get off stage at you know 10 p.m uh get on the mega bus arrive back in london at 3 a.m and think well i start reading the news at 5 a.m so i'll just sleep on the sofa there for for two hours and so i'd go i'd go, oh, I'd wow. go uh, it was it was awful i used to, i did that for a couple of years and then because it was uh because it was L L lbc and i was a freelance newsreader it meant you're putting all the shifts people don't want so you put on like the early breakfast shift the weekend shifts that's sort of yeah. thing um and sometimes it dictated which presenter you were reading the news for so i was the newsreader for katie hopkins and nigel farage oh right did you yeah. have to did you have to adjust the news a bit for, no for no but it, i did not yeah. enjoy let's just never meet your heroes <laughs> okay i i hated working with them uh, but, but no it was bizarre because I, they, they, they would obviously do their own shows and say whatever but then obviously you know because of Ofcom's broadcasting guidelines yeah. you just then had to do sort of objectively read the news but i would just have this permanent sense of dread but i would go to leicester square and i would just stand at the sort of third story window and just look out at all these people sort of vomiting uh their friday nights out all over the sort of pavement and and the, the sound of that fucking glockenspiel then became this sort of burden this albatross around my neck that would signal oh you're back you're, you're about to get two hours sleep because you've arrived in leicester square so what became actually this this you know what i thought was just this really nice this really nice little sort of monument this just quirky little bit of london actually yeah. ended up becoming something i absolutely despise but it seems so out of place in somewhere like leicester square your your decisions on what the wonders of the world are are, are for mostly things are i hate from anybody Do, else clive okay. don't get me started on the pyramids <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's for you. It's arriving back late at night. Actually, had quite a long period of overlap between stand-up comedy and news reading, which is yes, an unusual but, one. But, but well, yeah. partly because news reading wasn't really as financially lucrative as I assumed it would be, because I thought, well, by the nature of broadcasting to millions of people, surely that comes with like you know, you get a pound per listener or something that you don't. Um, no. And so I wasn't really earning enough that way. And then comedy was, I was only able to really sort of work on weekends, and I was trying to juggle the two sort of yeah. together. So two half half jobs two half, half jobs exactly incomes, two yeah. half jobs and then yeah. i quit in 2017 was the last time i did a news read a full news reading shift and that was the night before the first episode i ever did a mock the week i thought i should feel comfortable enough in comedy that i can leave that side of my life behind i should feel comfortable enough right. now by doing it yeah um and so that kind of felt okay and also by that point katie hopkins and nigel farage were still there and it was just starting to become a real sort of yeah. burden because you're obviously you know when you your friends very people that you talk to obviously find it very easy to live your life on your behalf so they're like if it was me i'd simply to uh, you know i'd simply tell them what i thought of them and just walk out that building and it's mm -hmm. like okay enjoy not having a job there like obviously obviously you can't yeah. do that no no i think you're uh, i wouldn't go on about it too much you may fail your bank at uh, de-banking you if you're yeah, too yeah, close yeah. to nigel farage but uh, uh anyway so that's so that's that's the, the glockenspiel it's a glockenspiel yeah, yeah. those two two lives yes yeah yeah, yeah, way yeah. Back. and do you go back for old time's sake and 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 look at it and uh is it still, it's like a clock, isn't it? With, with it's weird, it's like, yeah, I think it sort of kind of rotates yeah. and it plays this really like jangling, like really grating sort of noise, but it does sort of ring out and it echoes out across the whole of Leicester Square. Yeah. So if you're on one corner of it, you don't know where that sound is coming from. So it's really strange. And for a for a location, it is sort of quite, it's very sort of mainstream. And as I said, you know, there's a there's a Mr. Bean statue. It's where all the movie premieres are. Yeah. It's where all those sort of glossy restaurants, are, you know, the Chiquitos and Pizza Hut and stuff like that and a big McDonald's. <laughs> it does seem strange that there's this little cultural signpost there. Well, it used to be the Swiss Centre and it had Swiss restaurants and Swiss products and all sorts of things. And But that makes not much more sense either. Why no, it doesn't because why was there one? Yeah. You know, and it felt, yeah. it almost feels like one of, it, feels like a straight you know how like the statue of liberty is just this huge imposition of a gift from france but it feels like it's a strange gift from switzerland it's really really strange we don't have anything like that in the uk you know we don't have like an emmerdale signpost in Bern. no well maybe we do I don't <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah all right so the, the swiss clock and Street. yes now uh, a slight change of mood uh virgil's iniad yes um that was a wonder to me because it, it absolutely 
got me through a university degree because I, I studied it at school and that wasn't really on much of the curriculum. And of the two sort of like, I'd say the two biggest ancient texts from around that time are probably like Homer's, well, out of the three, it's like Homer's Odyssey, yeah. the Iliad, and then the Aeneid, I think, yes. of, the two, of, of the main sort of three. But and probably the, of those three, the least uh, referenced. In, in, it's the least referenced yeah. and it's a good one. It's a banger and it's from, <laughs> and it's kind of seen from the opposite perspective of the Iliad, which it kind of makes it... Greece with, with, with Italy. Exactly. Or with, with Rome, rather. Like, yeah, and it's... Yeah. Got, and even like reading it as like a 17 year old who only really cared about, you know, sort of like the Matrix and Black Hawk Down and stuff like that. There are like some cool, it's like quite cinematic and there's quite some sort of cool moments. There's like a bit where there's one particular sort of soldier and, uh, you know, he sort of slays a few other soldiers and he goes back to his sort of friends and he sort of goes, guys, that was great. We slew a cu-. I mean, he realizes he's with the wrong people. He's with the enemy. And so they just kill him. And you go, oh, that's the sort of thing you'd get in a really trashy yeah. like Bond film or something like that. But what was handy was it was the, I really sat down and listened to it and really enjoyed it at school. So you were studying, you, you did English at university. Was this part of a, a classics course? Not at all. Latin, no, no, no. English it was just part of, it was literature. part of English. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not really on the curriculum. So I don't know why it was sort of part of that. Yeah. Um, you read it in English rather than- We Latin? read it in English. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have been able to sort of do it otherwise. Um, and uh, then, then when I went to uni, it was perfect because everyone was using these sort of quite, uh, not, not, not generic English literature text, but everyone would sort of have their go-to text that yeah. they knew like the back of their hand so when it came to discussing a work of charles dickens they'd sort of go oh that reminds me of uh that yeah. reminds me of mary shelley actually yeah. and they'd they'd quote that every single week yeah. and so for me it was the aeneid because none yeah. of the lecturers had read it either so i could <laughs> say whatever i wanted i feel reluctant actually memorizing bits or like trying to recall bits of the aeneid because i've made so much of it up <laughs> to twist a point yeah. in my favor in an english literature degree. Yeah. i fully think the fact that i graduated was down to that that right. text well, you make, you make it up as far as I'm concerned. I know, I know it's, it starts with sort of the, Tro- the Troy story, but then it's, it explains the founding of Rome, uh, which yeah. I thought came from Romulus and Remus uh, being suckled. Suckled by, on the t- yeah. But, but they are descended from, the, from the, the, the character in this story. Yeah, and yeah. it's a bit more grounded, and yeah. it's made a bit more sort of humanised. And it's quite a strange one. I don't know if he, like, died during the writing of it, but the whole thing is that you sort of, the whole message of it, is sort of like there's you're meant to sort of give mercy to the people that you've sort of bested for if you bested someone in contact uh, con, in, in combat and they're not dead then the idea is you just go okay well i've won we've accepted i've won and so at the end he sort of bests sorry about the spoilers but you have had thousands of years um yeah. but he he, he he finally bests his his sort of opponent and you know and he and he sort of goes right i vanquished him this is it we're going to leave it there and his opponent's like okay got his hands up and he realizes his opponent is now wearing a necklace as a trophy of one of his friends who he'd obviously killed and he goes oh fuck you and he just stabs him and then it ends and that completely undermines the whole message of it. It was surreal. He yeah. must have died mid-sentence. All right. You think there was more to come from... Virgil? There was more yeah. to come. It could yeah. have ended like that. It's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Well, the, the, these, it's, it was, a lot of books are like that. You I know, know that. Like, yeah, I guess, Canterbury yeah. Tales. It, exactly. It's, not, it's, it's very fairy tale logic. He stupidly says how many tales he's going to write. You're right. And, it's and very, doesn't write them. It's, very, it's kind of that fairy tale logic where they always sort of go, and it was all about the pauper, and the, the yeah. pauper hopes you marry a prince, and at the end she goes, she married a prince and she was rich. And, and Jerry Maguire, the movie, that does that as well, where it's sort of like the whole moral throughout was sort of like, look, he was this big sports agent. He lost everything, but he learned love along the way. And at the end it's like, but he became a millionaire, so it's fine. <laughs> Bye. Um, so yeah, it kind of reminded me of that. But I th- it, 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 it's an amazing text. I th- the version I've made up in my head is an amazing text, uh, and so as a result, that got that got me through so much of my yeah. life. Okay, all right. Well, that's so it's uh, a genuine uh, wonder of literature, I should imagine. So that makes it onto your list. Wait, uh, have I read something you haven't read? <laughs> oh, absolutely. This, this, yes. This, okay, this, right, this plenty feels... I haven't read. Oh, I've never um, felt clever in my life. Yeah. Okay, this feels good. Yeah, <laughs> but I have read the Wikipedia entry on it, ready for this conversation, <laughs> uh, which hasn't helped me that much. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the six, your sixth wonder is London Zoo. London Zoo. I again, it's one of those things that I never got to visit as a child, then got oh. to visit as an adult. When I, when I, the, the, the current radio show that I work on, on on Absolute Radio, because it is in central London and we're done at 10 a.m., I was just finding my, my commute home involved me walking through Regent's Park. Oh, and right. so one day, just, oh, is this creepy? I went to London Zoo on my own. Well, it's not creepy, but it's uh, most people are there with children or groups or, or something like that. Yeah, they are. So I, I felt I felt creepy. I didn't want to feel creepy, yeah. but I felt I, yeah, I did. But it was just it was just excellent. I, I think it is so surreal just having the because obviously if if you pay entry, then it's obviously a surreal experience anyway. But it's a surreal experience even if you just walk around it. For some reason, where the giraffes are, that's not a bit you have to pay to go to. Yeah. So my walk home every single day, Monday to Friday, involves going past London Zoo, and it means going past the drafts bit and it's very strange to live in london but i 
walk past giraffes, giraffes every yeah. day yeah, and i really like that and so for me that is a that is a wonder because yeah. it feels like they you know they can't be well they can't be well animals because of the the general sort of uh, congestion and pollution but it's it is it's really it's really nice well luckily it, their their heads are above most of the pollution yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an evolutionary yeah. advantage they have the only weird yeah. thing about london zoo is it hasn't got the best animal it hasn't got like a lot of the time it sort of goes hey do you like chimpanzees hey do you like elephants and you go yeah and they go well step right this way to whipsnade zoo which is just 20 miles in that yeah. direction they keep advertising this other zoo but the uh, it's the giraffes bit of it it brightens my day every single morning well i think the the, the feeling has kind of moved a bit against zoos hasn't it uh, they were a big attraction in victorian times and right up until a, two or three decades ago but now people think it's not fair to keep large animals so uh, london zoo has got its country uh, ver- you know this department at whipsnade so all those big animals are there but are, there are lots of zoos around the country but some of some of i think has glasgow zoo just closed is anyone from glasgow De- decades ago was it oh, surely not surely all right. Well, I, either decades yeah. ago, or like, I, you sound as though you know more about it than I do. So I don't. Yeah, I I disagree with zoos as a concept, and yes. I think they will eventually die out because I think people find it easier to travel across the world now, in general, to be able to see something you might want to see, or also just the fact that we have easy access to video footage that you could watch a live stream from like a chimpanzee sanctuary yeah. and see that, that that surely fulfills what you otherwise sort of wouldn't get. And it, I, I'm against that sort of as an idea. And I, I was in I was in Copenhagen a while back and went to the zoo there, and that zoo is astonishing because I've got. It's just banger after banger. There's no yeah. crap animals. It's just the good ones. Yes. But they're all opposite. Like the elephants are opposite the polar bears. And you go, this isn't, I shouldn't no. be able to, I shouldn't be able to see both of them in the same yeah. field of vision. Yeah. Sounds like it's more zoos than just London Zoo. You're, you've, you've been to lots of them. You're, you're... No, only those two. I haven't been only to other zoos. Okay. I haven't been to sort of many other zoos. Yeah. Nor well, there's one here in Edinburgh, unless it closed down decades ago as well. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But it's, it, it's purely just based on that. I should, I think I probably should have been more specific and just been like specifically those two giraffes. Yes. It's those two giraffes that are to me a wonder because it's so completely at odds yeah. with the rest of my experience of I walk from the BT Tower to there and then back to and then to sort of to 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 Kilburn just makes no it makes no sense to me. Yeah. I love it. And and is uh, it, animals an interest of yours or is it just no the, the sort of <laughs> <laughs> no? But oh. never had like pets growing up or anything like that. No, my parents have got a couple of pet dogs since me and my sister sort of left home. They're replacements. For, they're for replacements. Yeah. They're definitely replacements because they're children who never grow up. When I go back, the floor is strewn with toys and stuff like that. And obviously, I got rid of mine when I was eighteen. Um, and they, but it, yeah, but, and it's very, it's all, it's all very sort of childlike. When it's Christmas and stuff like that, my parents will send me a, my parents will hand me a Christmas card that signed from the dogs. Yes. But they write it with their left hand, so it's messy handwriting. All right. As if to go, well, let's not be far-fetched. Yes. But dogs wouldn't be able to write well, would they? Yeah. Yeah, it's very... <laughs> it's cute, but it's insane. Well, surely they draw a little, you know, paw thing on it with the with the central paw and then... The they don't even do that. It's like written... Yeah. They spell it yeah. right as well. Yeah, it's yes. really... Yeah. I do this with... Uh, I send... When I when I sort of give people Christmas cards, what I do is it's quite... Because it's, it's me and my girlfriend and then, and, then, and then the baby. You sort of do that thing where you sort of write your name and your girlfriend's name and then with the baby's name, you do it like really scrawled as if it's, you know, sort of mm. messy. But what I do is I write my name and the baby's name normally and I do a scroll for my girlfriend's name. <laughs> she has never laughed once and I find it so funny to do. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not going to laugh at your parents. <laughs> Dreams <laughs> of dogs. Uh, I won't go into that. So anyway, so London Zoo. We're on to your final, uh, yes. your final wonder, uh, which is again, it's a puzzling one, but uh, you're, no doubt you can explain it. In-flight entertainment, especially the television programming on aeroplanes. Yes, I think it's a wonder. I want to. I'm not a drug user, Clive. No, but I want the only drugs I want to try are the drugs used by the people who choose what TV shows. Okay. Are on on planes, and right. I find it such a. Fu- I cannot wait for any long haul flight because I cannot wait to see the insane choices that they have. Where they go, welcome to be it. Here's a randomly chosen episode from series four of Scrubs. Yes. And you get okay, and you watch that, and then they go, did you like that? Well, there's none more where that came from. Here's the season finale of Desperate Housewives, and you you better believe it's a second part of a two parter. That sort of thing for me yeah. is, is is excellent, and it and it that I find very entertaining. But it brings back a memory of when I was about 13 years old 
and the hardest I've ever laughed in my life, which is something I remember so very vividly that at the time I'd watched a lot of comedy by the time I was 13 and I was already a bit sort of jaded by it and couldn't find myself to laugh. And um, Arrested Development, they had one episode of Arrested Development. It was season two, so not an easy way to get into the show. And it was an episode where, uh, if you're familiar with the show, Tobias was trying to get closer to to his daughter by dressing up as an English nanny called Mrs. Featherbottom in what was essentially a a complete replay of Mrs. Doubtfire. And at one point he tries to uh, enchant his daughter by, by floating down from the top of the balcony with his umbrella and obviously just falls a full story through a coffee table and it's the hardest i've ever laughed at anything on this 24-hour flight back from australia so i may i may have been giddy um but what i found it so funny i went to rewind the episode but it just restarted the episode from the beginning and this moment comes about 17 minutes in so i happily just rewatched that 17 minutes again got to the bit laughed just as hard it was a night flight as well i woke up so many passengers with my laughter And it made me laugh so much. I then did it a third time. And I think I did it a fourth time. I spent an hour watching one second over yes. and over and over again. And I'm, But I'm so grateful for that insane because by rights, they should have, if it was selected by normal people, they would have chosen the pilot and mm. I probably wouldn't have gotten into the show. But yeah. because they chose this random episode, it's still the hardest I've ever laughed at anything. And I'm so, so grateful for that. And so, so those it's the television ones you're interested in, rather than do you watch films as well? Because it's, it's a good place to watch a film, which is you know not a brilliant film, but Ex- yeah, yeah, it's a re- yeah any yeah. film starring uh, Jennifer Aniston or Sarah Jessica Parker that will be on a plane. Yeah, anything yeah. like that, really generic yes. movies. Yeah. Um, uh, no, but I was uh, I was excited to go on a, a, a flight a couple of weeks ago and see well, what what have they randomly chosen? It was the f- finale of The Last of Us. Yeah, on its own, who's that for? Yes, that's only for the people who have watched all the episodes so far, apart from the finale. It's so weird. I really, yeah, but I'm Ye- grateful. Years ago, I once had a, a rather ludicrous job uh, where I made little linking pieces for TV programs to be on British Airways flights, and uh, so we recorded. So you're like a live continuity announcer. Yeah, well, like, yeah. yeah like, there were supposed to be sort of jokes, and then it would introduce whatever the bit was. Mm. It was a ridiculous job because we recorded it in a in a sort of studio, but it was like a fashion studio. So the next door studios always had music playing while they were filming people walking around. So we had to keep going and say, "Please, could you turn that off while we just record this bit?" Do you think why don't you invest? Just find your location to record. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And then we did it. And I thought, oh, well, that was a really sort of, you know, hack thing to have done. But I, it paid dividends in the end because I was on my way back from actually doing a TV program uh, and I was flying on British Airways. And for some reason, I had to get in after, you know, the into the window seat hmm. and the woman next to me was a bit grumpy with me and found me rather tiresome and uh well she might uh, and then the stewardess came along and said oh mr anderson uh they noticed that i was who i was and i was doing the continuity linking oh since you've done that you must come and be upgraded to first class and the fate the look on that woman's <laughs> face because she didn't know who i was but was just, i was being upgraded to first class and as i got out i and it was an accident i knocked her orange juice over <laughs> so the whole thing so that's 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 a, that's brought back that happy memory for that me. That must be amazing. So it's yeah. great if they're sort of Darth Vader. We must send you right. We love. We've got your films. That's amazing. <laughs> anyway, those are your seven wonders. They are indeed. Glenn. Yeah. Thank you so much for for, for joining us. Now I have to uh, come. I have to decide what is the wonder of wonders. The the, the wonder of, of all the ones that you have advocated on behalf of. And it's quite a difficult decision to make in this case. You don't because, like any of them. Well, they're they're slightly unusual. Uh, I would mm. say. I I hate a lot of them. That's what makes it yes, weird. I know. I that's what makes. <laughs> Uh, but I think um, uh, it may be rather cruel for you as your uh, comedy career gets better and bigger and stronger and stronger. But let's go with Dinner for One. Make Perfect. That your, okay, your yeah. One the pinnacle of, one, of comedy. And we can, we can add to the enthusiasm for that. It might even get shown on, on television in this yes. country. Uh, but anyway, thank you very much. For right, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Glenn Moore. Thank you so thank much, you. everyone. Thank you very, very much. If you enjoyed this episode of My 7 Wonders, it would be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Thank you for listening. My 7 Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.